you're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the Book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, you have a calling in your life. We've been walking through this idea in Ephesians chapter 4 that there's a calling, a distinct calling of God in your life. And as we mentioned last time, the calling is not just some random calling to a vocation or a profession. The reality is, is the calling is Jesus himself. Well, I want to flesh that out a little bit more in this particular study. So let's start with just reading Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Paul says again. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Again, you have been called to a calling. And that calling is intimacy and relationship with Jesus Christ, which is the very thing that Paul's been talking about in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He's been going overboard, emphasizing that your position, that your life is to be in Christ, that you're to never move from in him, that in whom is where all things are found. So I do not need to go looking for something except Jesus and all blessings, everything that I need for life and godliness, everything that is needed for the Christian life is found in Jesus. Again, the whole emphasis is being in Christ. So it shouldn't surprise us that as we come into chapter four, verse one, Paul says, hey, there's a calling on your life. What's my calling? Is it a profession? No, no, no. Is it a certain duty? No, no, no. Oh, I must be obligated to something. No. Yes, God may give you a specific calling as, as I've joked about, you know, being a plumber or a teacher or a circus clown or maybe even a missionary or a martyr. It doesn't really matter what the specific calling is. I even think there's people who don't have a specific calling. If you were to look at my life, I'd say, well, uh, right now I'm doing these things, but I don't, I don't know what God's doing in my life. I'm trusting him and allowing him. I'm just surrendered. I am a servant of the Lord so he can do whatever he desires with my life. And I just want to say yes. So if he wants to call me to be a missionary, I'm in. Hey, if he wants me to be a martyr, hey, I'm excited. If he wants me to be evangelist or a plumber or whatever it may be, hey, I'm willing for the sake of Jesus Christ. So it's not the specific calling that we're focusing on as much as the high calling, the high and holy calling, which is God himself. Will I get to know him and embrace him in relationship and intimacy? And everything else of life should flow from that reality. Now, Paul says something very specific in this passage. He starts with this plea, this desperation. And he says this, I implore you to walk worthy of that calling. That word implore, again, the root word is actually that word calling. But that word implore means to beseech, to admonish, to exhort, implore, entreat, urge, plead, request, or to call upon. And it really is just this idea to earnestly encourage a response or an action. So here's someone and he beseeches, he just earnestly desires that someone would take action. So let me give, give some illustrations of how this is found throughout the New Testament. Uh, the demons did this when they asked Jesus to cast them into the pigs. So if you remember the story about Legion, uh, here's this man full of demons and Jesus is casting on the demons and the demons implored, begged, beseeched Jesus not to be thrown into Hades or the pit, rather to go into the herd of pigs. Uh, this word is used by the lepers, lepers and the sick 
Uh, let, me re- let me rephrase that. <laughs> the lepers and the sick did this so they would be healed by Jesus. They, they beseeched Jesus for healing. John the Baptist preached this way to the people. Peter preached this way after Pentecost. And Paul writes this way all the time. He says stuff like, I urge you, I beseech you, brethren. Do you realize that this word is this, this aggressive idea of, hey, don't just consider the idea. Don't just ponder the great thought. Rather, it's an earnest plea for action. So think about what Paul is saying. He says, I implore you, I beseech you. Hey, I'm just, hey, I exhort you. Don't just be passive in this thing. Don't just go, oh, praise the Lord. I have a calling on my life. Amen. Rather, Paul says, I I exhort you. I am imploring you. Do something about it. And, And what does he say? He says that you are to walk worthy of that calling. The word walk means to make one's way or to progress. Sometimes that word is translated literally to walk. In other words, to move from one place to another But the Hebrew understanding of this idea really comes back to this idea of life. It's the way of life or the way we conduct our lives. So when Paul says, hey, walk worthy, he's not talking about a literal path of of a calling. What he's saying is your whole life, the, the consumption and the conduct of your life, the way of living should be worthy of this calling. Well, you realize that the way we walk or the way we live, the manner of our life is really important to Paul. In fact, that word walk, specifically in the manner of like the way of life, is used 96 times in the New Testament. Seven of those are in Ephesians. So when you just look at Ephesians, listen to how Paul says that you are to walk. He says you're to walk not according to the world. So don't live, don't have your life like the world. That we are to walk in good works that God prepared beforehand. That we're to walk not according to how the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. That we're to walk in love. We're to walk in light. We're to walk circumspectly as the wise. And in our passage, we're told to walk worthy of this calling. So if we're going to walk worthy, we better know what the word worthy even means. The word worthy means suitable or in a manner worthy of. It's used six times in the New Testament and I think maybe to even help us better understand, let me give you the Webster's 1828 definition of this. Worthy, according to Webster in the 1828, means deserving, possessing possessing the excellence of qualities or equal in value. In other words, equivalent. So what Paul is saying is the way of my life, the manner of my life, the way I conduct my life is to be suitable and deserving and possessing the qualities of that calling. So let me give you a few illustrations or passages where this word worthy is used throughout scripture. I think it will really help us kind of grab a hold of even our passage. Philippians chapter one, verse 27, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, the qualities and life of the gospel should be our mode of living, that it is the way we conduct our lives. Our lives should be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.10, Paul says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In other words, our manner of life should be worthy of Jesus, should be possessing the qualities of life that he has, which makes sense if he lives inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Paul writes, just Just as you know how we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. 
so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In other words, the worthiness of my life, that which my life should be reflecting, according to Paul, should be reflective of Jesus, the gospel, the fullness of the kingdom, the God who even calls us. Now, what's really interesting about this word worthy is it goes to this idea or a picture of a scale. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those old-fashioned scales where there's a metal plate on one side and a metal plate on another, and it kind of hangs on this hinge. And so typically what you would do is you would put, you know, maybe your money, your bag of money on one side, and you would put a weight on the other side. And the idea is you want to know if the money is worth that correct amount of weight. And when that weight equals and they, and they equal themselves out, well, then we know that that amount of money is worth that weight. It's worth E. It's worth it. It's worthy of it. That's the idea. So ponder this. Paul says, this is so profound to me. Paul says that you and I are to walk, have a manner of life worthy of the calling with which we've been called. So here's the idea. We we take your life and we put it on one side of the scale, and then we take our calling and we put it on the other side of the scale. Now, let me go back and just remind all of us what our calling is. Our calling is not a profession. Our calling is not a duty or an obligation. Our calling is the life of Jesus. That when you look at the life and the fullness of Jesus, that is what our calling is. And maybe if you want one word, it's the word love. Because I think a great way to symbolize or summarize the life of Jesus is love. In fact, Jesus says that you will know my disciples by their love. Or maybe if you want a different picture of characteristics, you could just look at the fruit of the Spirit. Because these are the fruits of the Spirit. Which means love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control are fruits of the very life of Christ within us. But just imagine this. Uh, We have an old-fashioned scale, and so we put your life on one side, and then we put your calling, which is Jesus, on the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but if if my life was on one side and Jesus was on the other, I'm not quite so sure they're going to be equal. In fact, I'm quite sure that the life of Jesus is far weightier than my own. So here's the problem. How on earth can I live and walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called? How on earth am I ever going to have this weight, this skill to be equal where my life is worth that which is my calling? Well, that's impossible because the moment you put Jesus on this side, there's no way my life in and of myself will ever be able to reflect and mirror the life of Jesus. So I have no hope except for one thing. What if I begin to realize that that's the secret of the calling? That yes, my life is on one side and my calling is on the other, but my calling is the embrace of the person. That if I'm actually going to walk worthy of my calling, well, that whole calling is about getting wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with the one who has even called me. So ponder this. Though my calling, which is Jesus, is on one side of the scale and my life is on the other, The reality of my calling is that over here on my side of the scale, I'm to get wrapped up in Jesus and I'm to be filled with his spirit and I'm to live in his life and my whole life and the tone is is to be in him. And as such, do you see the profundity of this? 
that my life could be on one side embracing Jesus and Jesus can be on the other side. And as such, they will actually become worthy of each other, that they'll actually become equal. Not that my life is equal with Jesus. Please understand me. But the reality is, is that when my life is embracing Jesus and all wrapped up in Jesus and my life is all about the preeminence of Jesus and he is, has first place in all things, as Colossians 1.18 says, when, when I'm all wrapped up in Jesus, do you realize that Jesus is worth Jesus? So the moment I try to do something in and of myself to produce the life of Christ, I'm not equal with him. I cannot produce the life of Jesus. It is impossible. I cannot mimic I cannot grip my teeth and take cold showers and, and be righteous and holy in and of myself, which is the secret to Christianity. Do you realize that Christianity is not mimicking? Christianity is not fake it till you make it. Christianity is not, oh, think good, wise thoughts. Christianity isn't even the WWJD bracelets that we used to wear when we were kids. That's not Christianity. See, WWJD is all about looking at a situation saying, okay, uh, how would Jesus act if he was here? And then trying to mimic that. That's not Christianity. Do you know what Christianity is? Christianity is embracing Jesus. Christianity is actually having his life. Christianity is all about getting wrapped up in him. Christianity is all about being filled with the fullness of God. Do you realize that this is not fake it till you make it mimic kind of stuff? See, a parrot can mimic a human. Uh, a parrot can talk like a human. Uh, a parrot can strut like a human. But a parrot will never be a human. In fact, a parrot could even wear a bracelet around its little leg saying WWHD. What would a human do? And it, it can think through the process and say, okay, humans will do this and, and this is how they behave. But, but it will never be a human. If it's impossible for a parrot to be, to be a human, to act like a human... How much more difficult is it for us to have the life of Jesus, to mimic the life of Christ? He is so superior and so above. He is God Almighty. It is impossible for me to have any aspect of his life in and of myself, which means the only hope that I have is him. I must embrace him. It's this idea of the impossible Christian life. We are called to live an utterly impossible life. But the weight and the pressure is not upon us. It is actually upon him and our embrace of intimacy with him. Now listen to what Ian Thomas said. I love this quote. He said, the Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus Christ. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, whether it be your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. In other words, what Ian Thomas is saying is the reality of the Christian life is not about us. It's not about you or me. It's about Jesus. And the only explanation for our life is supposed to be him. That when the world looks upon your life, they should say, I... I don't understand how you are living your life except Jesus. What do we need if the only explanation for your life was Jesus? That it wasn't your money, it wasn't your talent, it wasn't your wisdom, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't your anything. The reality was is the only way the world could explain how you are living your life, the only way that the world can explain how you have peace in the midst of difficulty, joy in the midst of sorrow, calm in the midst of chaos, well, it must be Jesus in your life. 
See, that's the Christian life. Do you realize that the standard of Christianity, which is the life of Jesus, is utterly impossible for you to live out on your own? In fact, that's what the Old Testament proved. When you, when you read through the Old Testament, do you realize that God's perfect standard was so high, nobody could live it? In fact, Jesus even said that the greatest person in the Old Testament was John the Baptist. And yet he is the very bottom, the least in the kingdom of heaven. Which means somehow you've got to go even beyond the Old Testament requirements, which was absolute perfection. And if the Old Testament declare that not a single person can do it, well, how much more impossible is the Christian life? Jesus said stuff like, well, hey, you've heard it said in the old, old covenant, do not murder. But I tell you, hey, you can't even hate. Now, <laughs> which one's harder? I mean, do not murder seems a little bit easier because, you know, I could grip my teeth. I could take darts and throw it at the back of a door with your picture on it. But I, I, I won't murder you. But see, hating, that's a, that's a whole nother level. Uh, Jesus said stuff like, don't commit adultery. Ugh, all right, fine. I won't do the act, but I'll think about it all the time. And Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven, you, you can't even have lust. Did you realize that, that if the Old Testament law was impossible to live out, how much more impossible is the life of Christ? So if the Old Testament is impossible, then the new covenant is ugh, even more impossible. So how are you and I ever going to pull this off? We can't. The reality is, is we need Jesus. As Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3, everything we need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus so that we might be partakers of his divine nature. We do not become God, but somehow you and I get to be wrapped up in him, that we get to have intimacy and relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I am not worthy of his life. That if you put my life on one side of the scale and Jesus on the other, they will never be equal. I will not be worth his weight. And yet the reality is, is when I surrender my life, when I come in a humble submission and, and a, a heart of abiding and dependence, and I embrace Jesus in my life, and I begin to realize that my life is not my own, that I've been bought with a price, and that I've been filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then the very life of Christ floods into my own. And that which has always been impossible suddenly becomes possible. Not, not because of me, not because of my wisdom, not because of my talent, oh, but because of him. That is the Christian life. See, I do not walk around with a WWJD bracelet around saying, oh, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And try to mimic it. Just like a parrot will never, it'll never help a parrot to say, okay, WWHD, what would a human do? It would not help the parrot. See, what I need is the living God to get inside of me. See, what I need is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit residing within me, dwelling within my life. And somehow when he, in the fullness of who he is, comes and indwells my life, I am actually able to walk worthy of the calling with which I've been called. Can I remind you, you have a high and holy calling in your life. And that calling is none other than Jesus himself. And you are commanded, you are implored, you are exhorted to walk, have a life of worthiness up to that high calling. But you can't do it. I cannot do it. 
We need Jesus. Would you freshly surrender yourself to him? Would you freshly grab a hold of him? Would you turn your gaze upon him? Could I encourage you to spend some time with Jesus today and say, Lord, I desperately need you. That's my prayer for you. Would you go after Jesus? Would you go after this calling and realize that you will never live worthy of this calling outside of him? Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you that you are our high and holy calling. Thank you that you are good and that your mercies endure forever. And thank you, O Lord, that the weight and the pressure of the Christian life isn't so much upon us as it is upon us responding in obedience, surrender, abiding, dependence upon you. Lord, this is all about your life within us. That it's not about our talent. It's not about our wisdom or our ability of any sort. Lord, this is about you coming and doing something in our life. Lord, I pray that you would alter, that you would change anything and everything in our life so that our lives would be a reflection of you. Lord, I pray that we would walk worthy of this high calling in this generation. Lord, this world does not need people who say they are Christians and live however they want to. Lord, this world does not need more people who say they're Christians and go to church, but their lives are miserable. Lord, this world needs people whose lives look like you, not because we're you. We, we, we understand that. But because we're so full of you, you just start oozing out of every pore of our body. And Lord, I want, I want my life and I want those who are listening to this study, oh God, to have lives that are utterly inexplainable to the world around them outside of you. So, Lord, I pray that you would do whatever is necessary in our hearts and our minds and our lives and our mouths to make that reality so that when the world sees us, they don't see us, they see you. But, Lord, that de- that's going to demand that I embrace you. That- that's going to demand that I get to know you. That- that's going to just that's going to require me to keep pressing into you more and more and more and more every single day. And, Lord, what a phenomenal thought that I can spend every moment of every day for the rest of my life And I will never plumb the depths of who you are. In fact, it only gets better and better and better. Lord, would you make that our reality? Lord, thank you that you are our calling and that it is you who enable us to walk worthy of that calling. Lord, we just give you all the praise and all the glory. We love you. In your precious and powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. Know I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.